asking God as we uproot a lot of these anxieties, as we uproot a lot of the burdens and the pressures, uh, the weights that we carry all the time. God, I pray that you will fully root those things up and instead plant within us trust. And plant within us that reality that we are people saved by grace through faith. That you are God who has given your very life for us on the cross. Therefore, we are not striving anymore to try to please you. You've already done the work. So God, may we rest in the fact that you're a God who met our need before we needed it. That you're the God who holds our businesses, our families, all our responsibilities. That you're the God who says, you can be still because I am. And so, Father, I pray wherever we are that you just minister to your people in this moment. And then as we lay those things down, God, that we instead, as Jesus talked about, take your burden upon our shoulders, which is light and easy. That you are the one who says, if you come to me, I will give you rest. Rest for your souls. And so thank you, Father, for the ways that you are working in our hearts. And I pray that your word will only full, further illuminate the things in our lives that you are transforming. And we may walk out of here more free at the end of the day. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. You guys may have a seat. You guys may have a seat. Thank you, worship team. That's important stuff they just did, guys, right? That's important stuff, to actually take the moment to participate in laying that stuff down and learning to just be still and focus on who God is. So, I'm thrilled to be continuing this uh, series with you guys. We're in a message series, week four to be exact, called Neighbors, Genuine Relationships in a Lonely World. Now, the whole motivation for this series comes from the command of Jesus to love our neighbors as ourselves. If you've grown up in church, or if you've not, you've probably still heard of that command or something like it before. Maybe you've heard it all your life. But the question we're asking in this series is, how do we actually do it? Right? We're great at talking about stuff as a church, right? Christians are great at talking about stuff, but how do we actually put this into practice in our day-to-day lives with the real people who live and work and go to school all around us? And so out of this... We've asked some people, hey, if you have stories of your own, of ways that you've been reaching out to your neighbors, could you share that with us? And so we asked you to please write to info at trinitynr.org. We've had some people do that this past week, which has been really encouraging. It's been cool to see the way that God's already working in some of your lives where he has been. But I encourage the rest of you, if there are ways that you have been reaching out to the neighbors, and it could be as small, small, small as I walked around the neighborhood and introduced myself, could you just share that with us? And just because you share it with us, if you say, I don't want that shared with anybody else, you know what, we're not going to share that with anybody else. But at the end of this series, we are going to look for a creative way to to get a lot of these stories out there so that your own stories can encourage each other, right? So, but again, if you don't want your story shared or if you want to share it but be uh, anonymous, just say that in the email. Um, But overall, it would provide great feedback for us as we're going through this. Uh, to see the ways that you guys are actually doing this, right? Right? All right. I hope you're doing this. Actually putting this into practice. So, now as we dive into for today, the question that I feel like we have to hit, unfortunately, in a series like this, is are we 
loving our neighbors, are we talking about loving our neighbors, but really this is just a church growth strategy? Are we talking about doing nice things for people or loving people because really we want to create a bunch of salespeople who go out and try to seal the deal on Jesus? You tracking with me so far? Unfortunately, that's the question that a lot of us ask, right? Because we've seen the way that a lot of things have been painted as love but have actually carried an agenda with it. Now, to clarify... Do we want people to meet Jesus and be transformed by him? Do we want people to know the love and the joy of God? Do we we believe that every person was designed by God for a relationship with him? Yes, 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 we do. But if we're going at this whole series and we say that loving people is just a means to another end or carry an agenda with you when you go to your neighbor's house, I have a feeling we're not really loving people anymore, are we? So imagine with me for a second, and I feel like this is a fair illustration. Imagine with me for a second that a neighbor comes over to your house, and all of a sudden they're introducing themselves to you, and you're like, this is weird, they've never talked to me before. And they introduce themselves to you, invite you over to the house for a cookout, you go, that leads to another hangout. And then the third time you hang out, all of a sudden this person is, starts talking about the New York Giants a lot. And they start talking about, man, you know, like, I know that we are like the underdogs a lot of the time, but there's something great about rooting for an underdog, and uh, it's really the place to, it's really the thing to do. Let me tell you about the history of the Giants. Let me try, all of a sudden you're like, what's going on here? I'm a beloved Patriots fan. This person knows that clearly. Like, I have a history of this. And now this person's trying to, and you go in their house, and all of a sudden you see giant stuff everywhere. And you're starting to wonder, oh my goodness. And you go to the guy and you're like, buddy, like, I don't really know what's going on, but like, if, if this, like, I'm, 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 I'm a Patriots fan. That's not changing. And the guy all of a sudden goes, okay. But he never calls again. <laughs> he never comes over again. Never, like, how would you take that? Would you think that he cared about you? No. No. And I, listen, I know that, Jesus and sports are not the same thing, right? I I get that. But our neighbors don't get that, right? Oftentimes it's very much the same thing. But if we're going up and we see all of this loving your neighbors thing as just a bait and switch tactic to try to get people to become Christians or go to church with you, I'm afraid we're going to miss what this thing's all about. We don't love people under the condition that they become Christians. We love people because we love Jesus. And when he gives us this command to love our neighbors as ourselves, he doesn't say afterwards, so that, right? Or for the purpose of. He just stops, period. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, if you really do love your neighbor and you develop genuine trusting relationships with them, will faith come up in the conversation if you do love Jesus? Yes, because it's a part of who you are. And the truth is, if faith's not coming up, then you probably don't have a great relationship with that person. But my point is today that the whole point of this series is not so that we can ask, how can we use this to try to get people to believe something? But then, if they don't or if they refuse, we're like, okay, that was great, see ya. That's my number one concern in all of this. So why are we talking about loving our neighbors? If it's not a bait-and-switch tactic, then what's the point of this? 
Yes, because Jesus said it. But let's go a step deeper. Why? And with that, we're going to open up to the Gospel of John chapter 4, starting at verse 4. Looking at this story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman. This is an awesome conversation. It's just back and forth between Jesus and this woman. And as you read this with me, I encourage you, look deeper than just the surface level and ask, what is Jesus ultimately concerned about in this conversation? Why is he loving her? All right, John chapter 4, starting at verse 4, and we're going to read to verse 26. It's on the screen, or you can follow with me in your own Bible. John chapter 4, starting at verse 4. Now he, being Jesus, had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I won't be thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have five husbands, and the men you are now have... And the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on the mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where you must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship that Worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and His worshipers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When He comes, He will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am He. Will you repeat after me? Jesus, speak to my heart. Speak to my mind. Change my life. Amen. So as we're thinking about what does it mean to love our neighbors, really, and I came across a story this week and began to dig into it. I've read this story dozens and dozens of times, but there was something about it this time that stuck out to me like I'd never really seen before. When you look at this conversation initially, it seems as if they're only talking about things that Samaritans and Jews in that day cared about. But if you look a little bit deeper, you see what Jesus is addressing in this woman is a need and desire that every human being shares. What is he speaking to? What is his real goal as he's communicating with her? 
What is that thing that he's speaking to in her that all of us crave? See, all of us in this room, every human being, desires to be fully loved while also being fully known. Every human being desires to be fully loved while also being fully known. All of us in this room want someone who will care about us, even with our warts and all. To show you that, let's, let's unpack this. Let's take a closer look. Jesus, this great Jewish rabbi, he's been traveling a long way and he's wiped. He's tired. Now, how many of you know that it seems like when we're most tired, that's when people come to us in need? Why is it that way? You know, I'll never forget, I was working a camp during seminary and uh, just working for one summer. And at 3 a.m., I was very much enjoying my uncomfortable bed. But 3 a.m., one of the campers woke me up and he says, hey, I need to talk. It's like, really? Like, we were hanging out at 3 p.m. yesterday, and you want to talk at 3 a.m.? Yeah, yeah, I really need it. All right, buddy, right? Like, we can't always predict when the situations are going to come at us, can we? Sometimes when we're tired, that's the very moment when God says, I want you to do something here. But here is Jesus, and as he, come, as he is sitting on this well, up comes this Samaritan woman from town. Now, if you're an outside observer looking in and you see this woman coming, there are multiple cultural taboo sirens going off in your mind. Number one, he was a Jew, she was a Samaritan. There was a bitterness in those two ethnicities that went back hundreds of years for a variety of reasons, but it was pretty brutal. Number two, Jesus is a pious rabbi and a man. And for a woman to come up to a, to a pious rabbi and for him to talk to her at all in a public place, for many rabbis was considered a no-no. I mean, just to show you how crazy this could get sometimes, and I'm not making this up, there was a group of Pharisees or religious leaders in Israel at that time called the bruised and bleeding Pharisees. Why? Because whenever they would see a woman in public, they would literally close their eyes like this and just, right? I don't get it. But that's how seriously they took it because like, well, we don't want to lust, right? We, 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 don't, want to, we don't want to fall into temptation. But then to add to that, this pious rabbi is talking to a woman with a sinful past as big as hers, right? He didn't need to know how many husbands she's had. Just the fact that she was coming out in the middle of the day when no one else was there to draw water shows that she's avoiding people for a reason. It's her shame and her guilt are motivating her to be there in the first place. So Jesus says, Culture is telling him not to talk to her. His ethnicity is telling him not to talk to her. His physical body is telling him not to talk to her. And what does he do? He talks to her. And I was thinking about that. Like, aren't you glad that the love of God is not bound by cultural barriers? You and I wouldn't be here otherwise. But even when Jesus does begin this conversation with her, she's not really sure how to take this guy. And who can blame her? For a woman from her background, men treat her in one of two ways. Either they are the pious types who ignore her, or when a guy does talk to her, it's because they're the not the so pious type. Either they completely are silent around her, 
or they want to sleep with her. You tracking? So the fact that Jesus is talking to her in the first place leads her to believe what right away? He wants something from her. He wants something from her. But he begins this conversation with very short, small talk. Hey, can I have some water? And she's like, what What are you doing? Who are you? And he says, I have something for you. If you knew who I am, I have living water for you. And the woman, you see, and I love this conversation because it's so honest. You see her right away. She's like, all right. All right, who are you? All right, wh- what's your deal? What do you want? You, you just got weird on me, and I'm not letting you blow the surface. Don't even, don't even try it. And who can blame her? Life has been a cruel, harsh, disappointing experience for her. She has trusted over and over again in different men and been let down over and over again. So, of course, she's grown hardened over time. And she's not letting this guy beneath the surface. But Jesus, even though she starts to get a little snarky and sarcastic, he doesn't, let, he doesn't get offended. But he goes again and he says, Whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Her response? Well, that's convenient, right? Because <laughs> I wouldn't have to come out here every day. I would love some of this water. But Jesus is persistent. And the thing, the turning point in this whole story, as far as I see, is what Jesus says next. Because as she's getting snarky and as she's clearly like stiff-arming Jesus and saying, back off, man. Jesus goes to the next step. And what is the next thing he do? He shows her that his free gift, that he wants to give something to her while also knowing who she is. The love he's extending to her is not because he's ignorant of who she is, but it's because he knows who she is. You tracking with me? Because he says right there, I know you have five husbands. You know, in that culture, one husband and one divorce was enough reason for some shame, but five? I mean, this woman, no doubt, felt like she could not get it right. She had made so many poor choices in her life, I'm sure. Add on to that, the way other people have treated her, she just feels like a mess. But Jesus says, I'm going to put all of that front and center in our conversation. And I'm going to show you that I offered you the living water. I offered you my love, knowing all of that. This was the very thing that she was trying to keep hidden. The very reason why she went out to that well in the middle of the day. The very reason why she was stiff-arming Jesus in the first place is because this was the part of her that she didn't want anybody to see, to talk about, to deal with. She had tried to quench the thirst of her soul with man after man, and here is Jesus wanting to offer her something different. We all have parts of ourselves that we'd prefer to keep hidden, don't we? We all have parts of our own selves that we don't like. We all have aspects. We've done things that we are not proud of. 
Or maybe there are parts of ourselves that we see are selfish or cowardly. And we felt the shame of that. We felt the guilt of that. We felt the weight of that. And how we often deal with that is we just try to ignore that it's even there. We just try to keep shoving it down. And then we project a version of ourselves that we want everybody to see. You know, it's like, it's like our own houses, right? When you invite somebody over to your house, you don't take them down to the cellar or the attic or the garage. Why? You're not so proud of that space. You take them to the nice spaces where you have everything laid out. You, you present that to them first. But Jesus shows up to this woman and he says, I'm going in your cellar. And I'm going to show you that I am here to bring life to that part of you. And the thing is, that amazes me about Jesus, is that even when she comes back at him, because we will have people that as we try to develop a relationship with them, they're going to stiff arm us. They're going to be rude to us. They might say things and we're like, whoa, that stung a little bit. But Jesus doesn't get offended here, does he? Because he knows that that's coming from a place of hurt and shame. It's coming from a hidden place that she doesn't want anybody to see. And he says in this passage, he says, What I want for you is not that you figure out the right places to worship me or the right rituals to perform. What I want for you is that my spirit might be inside of you. That I might transform you to the very core of you. I'm not interested in the flashy, nice parts of you. I'm interested in all of you because I care about you. This past week as I've been processing this, you know, it, a lot of my own memories and experiences have been coming to me. Things that I have shoved down, right, that I don't like to admit are a part of my life. But this week, just reading this story, all of a sudden I found the courage to be able to go to God and say, Here's this part. I don't like to admit that it's even here. It's painful to even put out there. But if you can do this for her, I need your living water for me. Will you change and transform me? And as we take him down to the cellars and the attics and the garages of our lives, that's when he says, now I can show you what my love can really do. Because of the grace of God, you and I can be fully known yet fully loved at the same time. Somebody, that's your moment, right? At the same time. And see, some of you, before we can even talk about reaching out and loving a neighbor or anybody else, the very thing that, 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 that God wants for you is that you begin to get honest about who you are with him. Is that you able to go to him and lay those things down and say, God, I need your living water in this part of my life. And these cowardly, selfish, embarrassing, shameful parts. Because only when we get that Jesus will go there, only then do we actually start to understand what his love really means. But once we do get that, once that does begin to sink in, how will it in turn affect our relationships with people around us? Once you realize that he's gone into the deep places of your heart and is beginning to transform that, you're going to start seeing the people around you, man, they got attics, they got basements, they got garages full too. 
They got posture parts of their own lives that God wants to come and work. And you start to see them differently. But how, how will we begin to take the love of Jesus to, though, to them? How can we begin to go be below the surface in our relationships with people? And really, it starts, and this may not sound so complicated, but it starts by just meeting people where they are. Right? Jesus meets this woman in the midst of her normal day-to-day routine. If he was waiting for her to go to Israel or anywhere else, forget it. She knows what happens if she showed up there. So he showed up where she was. And this is really, this is just one more example of who our God is. He's always been an initiating God. He's never been the type that says, I'm waiting for you to figure things out before I'll come to you. He's the God who reached out to Abraham, who reached out to Isaac, Jacob. He reached out to Moses. He reached out to every, like he's, he's the one who initiated it all. He's the one who left heaven, came to earth to be born here. He's the one who, though he was lived in Nazareth, left Nazareth and traveled all around Israel. And he's the one who calls his people to go out to the nations, to go beyond. And so for us as a church, that means that if we're going to truly love our neighbors, that we can't just expect them to come here. That we're actually going to have to meet them where they are in their day-to-day lives. There are so many people, and there's so much research backing this up. Over half of our communities, there is no chance that they will step foot in a church. But are we still called to love them? So how do we do that? So we learn to meet them on their own turf. Right? And that's not something that church programs can figure out. That's something that we do out of the initiative of God's own love out of us. And so I want to talk about how how do we begin to do that, right? How do we begin to develop those relationships with people on their own turf that scratch below the surface, that can actually get to those deeper places within them? And see, number one, don't underestimate small talk. Some of you are like, that sounds unholy, (laughs) And I'm, I'm the kind of guy that, I, I mean, given what I do for a living, I love to go to the deep soul level of people. I love to get below the surface and hear what's really motivating people and all, and all that. And so for a long time, I would try to shortchange the small talk, right? It's like, ah, oh, man, like, I, great. You want to talk about the weather. That's wonderful. But I want to get to your soul. But I've learned over time that's a big mistake. Because small talk is where you get to know people's names, right? Small talk is where you figure out what you have in common. Think about it. When you, when you talk to somebody about the Bruins, about the Red Sox, about your kids, about your house, about you know, these things that, that we feel like, ah, in the end, they don't really matter. But when you talk about those things, that's where trust has to start. If you go up to somebody and the first question you ask them is, how is your soul today? That's the last question you're going to ask them. Right? And so it's important for us not to just cast off small talk as unimportant. Because the biggest thing about building trust with anybody is that it takes consistency and patience. And so that might mean that you talk to somebody about the Red Sox every single day for a whole year. 
when you see them at work. It might mean that. I don't know. There's not really a formula here. But I don't want you just to dismiss it as if it's not important. But the truth is, over time, as you take patience and begin to build that relationship, and you build that common ground, that's when we can begin to start asking them deeper questions about their lives and learning to listen. Now, in our Twitter soundbite world, we are not good at listening. I'm not pointing to anybody in this room. I'm just saying, as a society, we love to be heard, but we're not very good at hearing. Follow any Twitter argument, no one is actually trying to hear each other. They're just yelling at each other the entire time. For one, in order to be God's people, we do have to figure out what it means to start listening. Imagine, I mean, I mean just, just think for your own life. If you're having coffee with somebody and they're sitting across the table from you and the entire time you're talking, they're leaning in, they're looking you in the eye, they're starting to repeat some things back to you that you're saying, they're just showing that they're actually hearing what you're saying, how does that make you feel? Man, it makes you feel valuable, doesn't it? Let's go to the opposite extreme. When somebody's pulling out their phone and they're texting people while you're talking or they're acting like, yeah, 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 yeah. How does that make you feel? Like, you don't matter. You're not a priority in the moment. And so, in order to show people love, sometimes it just simply means be quiet and turn your ears on. But part of also listening is learning to ask questions that get to the heart of someone. And I found one of the best types of questions, if you're not sure, man, how do I go from small talk to actually figuring out who somebody is... One of the best questions is just asking what they desire. What, they, what are their dreams for life? You know, questions like, hey, if you could do anything, what would you do? Or what do you love about what you do? It's those open-ended questions that begin to probe a little bit deeper to, to what is it that they ultimately hope for out of life. And that's when you start seeing who someone is and, and as trust is built because you're not just having these deep conversations all the time, but you're learning to do life alongside of one another. That will then allow you to go even a step deeper than dreams and desires. And when a person feels safe enough, that's when they start opening up about their regrets, their losses, their pain. And if somebody is at the point of being able to open up to you about that kind of stuff, that's because they trust you. That's because they've now taken the leap to believe that you're someone that they feel safe enough to be fully known yet fully cared about. That's the very thing they desire. And it's in that moment that we are able to show them exactly what God's love can be. That you can, you can share this stuff with me, but I'm not here to judge you. I'm not here to fix you. I'm here to be your friend. And if God allows you the opportunity to speak into that, and if you see that, man, that this is the moment they're going to actually hear what I'm saying, then go for it, right? Then go for it. Because as you build that trust, as you get to below the surface, that's when people see your source of hope. That's where they're going to see who you really are, too. So I had a, a, a good friend in high school named John. His name is not really John, but for today his name is John. Um, and John 
and I hung out all, a lot in high school. I wouldn't say all the time, but we hung out a lot. You know, we um, played guitar together. We lit things on fire. We threw, uh, right? Like, like, you know, things high schoolers do, right? But we just hung out. Now, we had there were a couple times in high school where I tried to, you know, talk to him about Jesus, about faith, because it really mattered to me. But he came from a, 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 a kind of broken faith background, broken family background. He's like, yeah, man, I'm good. All right, cool. We just kept hanging out. It wasn't until college that he all of a sudden calls me up out of the blue, and he's like, hey, uh, can we talk? I hadn't seen him in probably a year or two. Yeah, Sure. So we meet up at a coffee shop. I sit across the table from him, and he just starts firing question after question to me about Jesus, about the Bible, about what all this stuff is. And I, like, I didn't have any theological training at this time, right? Like, I was, just, I was just trying to answer him the best I could, as honestly as I could. But as I walked out of that coffee shop with him, I realized not, this would not have ever been possible had I not spent the time with him in high school. Fireworks can sometimes lead to holy things, Right? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Don't, no, don't take that out of context. But point is that it was the relationship over time that earned the trust to know that I just cared about him. I wasn't coming at him because I was trying to make him a Christian. I, he was my friend. And right now, you guys have people all around you in your life. People who have those deeper parts of them and wanting to know for themselves, can they be fully loved and fully known at the same time? And the thing that they crave is for someone to just genuinely care about them. And if you don't genuinely care about the people around you, just try praying for them for a few days and see what happens. Nothing like prayer actually builds compassion for somebody. There's no formula to this. But Jesus meets us where we are in order to give life to all we are. And he's called us to do the same thing. So as you think about the story, as Jesus sits down tired and exhausted, physically, man, I don't think that this is the moment he dreamed of, yet he saw this woman walking up. And he begins to see her shame and her guilt. And he sees that she's a woman who has stopped believing that anyone can genuinely care about her if they knew who she was. But as a result of this whole encounter, what does she do? She goes to the village, and all of a sudden her whole neighborhood is changed because of that one experience. So think about your own life. Everybody in here, you're going to interact with dozens, if not hundreds of people this week alone. And now look around this room and see and imagine all of these people that we together as a church will come across this week alone. And if surveys tell us anything about who our society is, most of these people believe that this solitary existence is all there is. Most of them are living for this life and that's it. Many of them are carrying baggage from their past. Shame, guilt, things they hope no one ever finds out about. And they're asking that very question. Will someone love me if they really knew me? And only the grace of God found in Jesus Christ can say yes to that. Folks, I know that we're tired. 
But what we see that those people we come across, that it's a privilege to be able to speak to a soul level of anybody. That this whole loving our neighbors is not an evangelism strategy. It's just what happens when the compassion of God starts pouring out of us. And my biggest prayer for us this whole series is that we would just begin to see below the surface people around us asking, God, where are you leading me? Will you guys stand? Let's pray together. Jesus, you met us right where we are in order to transform all that we are. You came to the dark places of our hearts, and you're still working in every single one of our lives. Because, man, I know for me, like, there's a lot of things that I've worked real hard to keep hidden from people, and you're allowing me to see that you're the kind of God who wants to actually change those things. And so, Father, I pray that as you speak to us individually, that you allow us to then know how to love our neighbor in the ways that we've been loved. And that you open our eyes to where you're working all around us. Thank you for your kindness to us. Thank you for your grace toward us. And thank you, Father, that you've loved us without condition. Just like you love our neighbors. And so as we sing back to you, as we worship you, God, I pray that you ignite our hearts and that you continue to cement your own love within us. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said... Let's just take a moment and sing together. So help me to love with open arms.